0: Welcome to the Brain Health Revolution podcast with your hosts, Aisha and Dean Sherzai. We're very excited to be here today to speak with you all about one of the most stirring conversations in the last week, one that has generated quite a lot of controversy and a lot of pushback from the medical and the scientific community against FDA and a pharmaceutical company. We are talking about aducanumab, which is the first medication that modifies alzheimer's disease that has been approved after about 18 years
1: correct i mean to be as far as disease modification ever right because the, the the medications that were approved previously were symptomatic drugs they were never assumed to slow down the or alter the disease process
0: exactly exactly so Let me just kind of give our audience a little bit of background of what this means and what this medication essentially represents. So, you know, until now, there has not been any disease-altering therapies to offer for Alzheimer's patients. And aducanumab, or aduhelm by its market name, was developed by the biotechnology company Biogen in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And it is uh, touted to treat Alzheimer's disease, rather than just the symptoms. Currently, the medications that we have in the market and for doctors to prescribe are only symptomatic. There are only a handful of them that we use in the clinic.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, we have Aricept uh, or Donepezil, we have Residine, um, and, and then we have Namenda, which is a different kind of category of drugs, uh, or, or Mementi. None of these have long-term effects. The, the disease progresses at the rate that it progresses. This drug, adicunumab, actually purports to slow down the process. Exactly. And that has been controversial.
0: Exactly. So the whole theory of amyloid beta protein as the driving force of Alzheimer's disease was essentially discovered or, you know, brought up in the 1980s, wasn't it? it
1: yeah. Well, the reality is that we are talking about how this drug works. Mm -hmm. This drug is supposed to work by eliminating amyloid, which is a protein that's been associated with Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's being the biggest category in the dementia realm. Mm -hmm. Dementia is when cognition is affected to an extent where a person can't do their daily activities. Alzheimer's is the biggest category. And Alzheimer's is driven mostly, or has been assumed, that's why they call it the amyloid hypothesis, to be driven by amyloid although recently there's um, um, now greater, more complex information that tau is as much if not more involved, which is another protein. Nonetheless, that hypothesis by itself has not been confirmed. In fact, for majority of Alzheimer's, people like myself and uh, Aisha and others, we and many others believe that it might not be the cause, but downstream product of chronic disease, chronic uh, uh, trauma that accumulates. and. There's genetic evidence for that, there's epidemiological evidence for that, and much more. So amyloid is at the centerpiece of this. There there are some leaps being made here, Mm -hmm. assuming that all Alzheimer's uh, is driven by amyloid, Mm. assuming that removing amyloid is good, and assuming that when you remove amyloid that you actually affect disease process. Those are three leaps that have been made here.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And so, so there seems to be a dominance of the amyloid hypothesis in the last few decades. Mm-hmm. And um, this medication is aimed at reducing the number of amyloid beta plaques in the brain. And Correct. it's essentially associated with improvement in cognition.
1: Yes. Yes. So amyloid is a protein that was actually first discovered when uh, Eloise Alzheimer, the first doctor that uh, identified a patient with Alzheimer's then looked at the t- brain tissue and found. I think that found, was in
0: 1905, wasn't it?
1: Yes, okay. and, and, uh, and found amyloid. Amyloid is interesting. We all have it. We all accumulate it mm-hmm. as we age. And uh, almost everybody who ages develops amyloid. Right Now what is amyloid is a miscut, or what they call beta amyloid, is a miscut or inappropriate cut in a normal protein. Which is a transmembrane protein. I'm not going to get too wonky in this, but it's okay it's to a- get wonky. Actually, <laughs> okay. there are a lot of people who would want some details. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it's important. So there's a transmembrane protein, and uh, all cells have these proteins that are, are traverse the the length of the membrane. It's a, a lipid bilayer membrane, which means two layers of fat that create the cell structure. Through that, you have all these glycoproteins and proteins, and and all these systems that help transport help protect against inflammation, and also mark the cell as unique. One of those is APP, amyloid precursor protein that goes through the cell, Mm -hmm. a cell wall. And in in cases of A-beta protein, it is miscut. It's an appropriate cut, and it creates this amyloid byproduct outside of the cell that accumulates. And then the rate of accumulation has been correlated with progression of disease. And that in itself is a problematic thought process because just because you see something as another thing accumulates doesn't mean the two things are connected. Mm. One analogy has been given is that just because you run into a house that's been burnt down and you see a lot of ash, you don't say, oh, the cause of the house falling down was the ash. Right. Because we never saw the fire. That's so true and we say, okay, so let's start attacking ash Mm -hmm. and remove ash. Mm -hmm. Well, you can remove all the ash you want, but you're not gonna get rid of all the other houses burning down if you don't address the fire. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: I like this analogy a lot. And there was another scientist who made an analogy saying that it's like shooting like a shotgun Shotgun, at the barnyard and then creating a target around the shot. In
1: in this case. In this situation. yeah, Yeah, exactly.
0: So, okay. All right, great. I think we should go into a little bit of detail of what
1: really happened. So so that's the background. Well, I want to get into the genetics a little more. Sure. Kind of give them a little bit of a support. I mean, uh, these are not v- dumb people. They're very smart. And I'm I'm, I'm 100% the scientists that have <laughs> yeah. approved this. Yeah. And the scientists that have approved this, I'm sure are not nefarious. It's just the way people look and how other forces affect uh, decisions we make, or the weight of truth we put on something—that's mm-hmm. important. Uh, we don't have to just jump to conspiracy right away. I—I I, I hate when we do that. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, but we're, we're being uh, very objective here, objective, and that's why yeah. we
0: wanted to kind of, you know, give an idea of the background before we delve into our th- personal thoughts about this. Correct. And right. and take it from there.
1: We definitely think that amyloid has something to do with it, and and where the data comes from, as far as the amyloid hypothesis is concerned. Remember, we always say that as much as 90% of Alzheimer's can potentially be avoided, it, it, where are we coming from that mostly, but there's a lot more evidence, but mostly it's from the genetic studies. Right. Only 3% of Alzheimer's is driven by the kind of genes that if you have those genes, you're going to get the disease no matter what. Mm. So what are those genes? There are presenilin one presenilin 2 and APP. And these genes have to do with amyloid and miscutting of amyloid. So it's a direct attack on amyloid. It's a direct process where amyloid is created. Um, In case of APP, it's um, uh, with Down syndrome individuals because they have three sets of chromosome 21 as opposed to everybody having two. And APP gene is on chromosome 21. They overproduce that gene and overproduce the product of that, which is a lot of amyloid. And then people, they have a much higher risk of dementia. So much of the argument for the amyloid hypothesis came from those 3%. Mm -hmm. And we actually don't argue about that, that in those cases, the, the amyloid is probably the driver, which then leads to tau. What about the other genes? Well, the other genes have very little direct relationship with amyloid. The next much higher relationship is with APOE4. And APOE4, its function is lipid transport or fat transport. And it does its job poorly. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, indirectly, sometimes it affects amyloid as well, but everything does. It's the aging process. But directly, it's the lipid and fat transport that's affected. Mm -hmm. So there's the evidence for amyloid, those 3%. That's a strong evidence because those are heavily driven. Those people that have those genes almost invariably get the disease before the age of 65. Right. Uh, So that's a strong evidence for the amyloid hypothesis but there's also evidence epidemiologically, lifestyle and otherwise, that uh, for the rest, it's not just amyloid, it's uh, all the chronic diseases that we accumulate. And that's not controversial anymore. Mm -hmm. Blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes, insulin resistance, we're going to be sharing a very uh, important paper that was just published on diabetes and early onset diabetes. Uh, Head trauma, hearing loss, smoking, alcohol abuse, all these things have their own path to Alzheimer's and much more common path Mm -hmm. to Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. Yet, we have been focusing almost universally, ubiquitously with blinders on, on amyloid. And in, in the world of social media or even in science, people take camps. We're not in any camp. We say that amyloid should be studied. Tau should be studied. Synucleinopathies should be studied. It's another protein with Parkinson's and others. All of these should be studied. The molecular approach should be studied. But the weight of truth we place on something matters. Mm-hmm. We say when, when, when you overstate a truth, it's a fallacy. When you understate a truth, it's a fallacy. In this case, we think it's an overstatement of a hypothesis. There are so many other things for a greater majority of patients at risk for Alzheimer's that we have never addressed directly. Right. And, and there's plenty of evidence for those things working if we address them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the background. And then and I think we can start talking about this study itself and right. where we are now today. Yeah.
0: That's a great summary of, of the background. So based on this amyloid hypothesis, multiple pharmaceutical companies and multiple universities have been looking at anti-amyloid or amyloid removing medication, and none of them have been successful, decades of research. But in 2015, there was some early evidence uh, by Biogen from the clinical trials of aducanumab that suggested that clearing amyloid plaque seemed to be accompanied by somewhat slowing of cognitive decline among Alzheimer's patients.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Uh, But there have been evidence in the past where amyloid was removed. But there was never any evidence that the removal actually uh, halted the disease or affected the disease process. And more importantly, often there were side effects. Exactly. Brain swelling, white matter disease, in massive numbers or in significant outcomes was always the thing that stopped the uh, study uh, going forward.
0: Absolutely. And so based on this background and research, Biogen set up two very large identical clinical trials. They were called ENGAGE and EMERGE. Now, there were about 3,300 participants uh, combined in these clinical trials. And these were individuals with mild cognitive impairment or mild dementia, or just mild cognitive impairment in very early stages of Alzheimer's disease. And they either received the drug versus the placebo the drug was given to them in a low or a high dose of aducanumab. And this was a monthly intravenous infusion. So they got the medication through their veins. And both of the studies were discontinued in March of 2019. when we both were at the Alzheimer's Association Conference where they declared that an independent interim data analysis team showed that aducanumab treatment was futile. And although it cleared amyloid from the brain, it didn't really slow or stop the cognitive decline, and it was deemed unlikely to benefit any patients. But then Biogen in October of 2019, a few months later, they started including additional data from the time the interim data analysis began through the date when the trial was stopped. And that analysis found that patients who were in the EMERGE trial and those who got high doses of aducanumab showed a 22% slowing of their cognitive decline over a period of 18 months. And this was compared to placebo patients. And no such decline was recorded in the ENGAGE study patients. Now there was only statistical significance in this slowing uh, in the subset of patients who received the highest dose of aducanumab. and so this was essentially a reanalysis and it just started submitting the trial again to fda and i believe you know according to some of the commentaries fda was under a lot of pressure from uh, biogen especially because there was a 18 year drought and there were no medications so they wanted to see
1: if they could approve it it wasn't just a pressure from, you know, the pharmaceutical company. From the public, I mean, this is a massive disease that scares. It's the uh, statistics have shown, when people have been asked, "What's this thing that scares them the most?" It's Alzheimer's, right? More than you know, dying from cancer or anything else. It's Alzheimer's, and Alzheimer's is in the public consciousness more than any other disease at this point. Right. Right. So that, and the fact that people wanted hope.
0: And also a lot of Alzheimer's advocacy groups like Alzheimer's Association actually was pushing for it too.
1: Correct. So there's a lot of push and because people wanted hope and people thought also the the thought process is if there's even a vestige of hope that that would actually propagate further research, further attention because people were withdrawing from that kind of amyloid research. But the problem was that people were not withdrawing from research. They were withdrawing from amyloid research. Right. And when hope is the driver of science. Not, not that hope is not driver of science, period. Of course it is. I mean, it's human beings, feeling beings that are making decisions as far as direction of, uh, of investigation. But if, when hope becomes validator, that becomes problematic. It's breaking through the standards of science that, that that have propelled us over the centuries and can misdirect us, can significantly affect future outcomes and research and that's where we're afraid that we're going.
0: So it looks like the whole picture is a bit fuzzy and murky. Yeah. And um in um I believe it was earlier this year that FDA announced that it was going to acknowledge these changes even though there were only statistical significance and there was no meaningful clinical change in cognition in the subgroup of individuals and the FDA went against its advisory committee which is very unusual to approve this medication this week.
1: Yeah, uh, this is nine people, sorry, 10 people were part of the advisory committee and they all voted actually all except one. They voted against approving. Oh wow. Which is remarkable to get such a harmony in decision making among scientists, but but that's that's what we had. And FDA went against their advice and approved the drug.
0: And there was also an issue with uh, Biogen actually using a surrogate outcome as opposed to the general outcome that is usually sought after in clinical trials.
1: There were two problems. One is in science, you don't do phishing expeditions, meaning that you go with a particular set of hypotheses, either alternative or null hypotheses they call them, Either one, uh, usually null, which means you go. The beauty of science, although it's symbolic a lot of times, is you go to um, disprove yourself. Mm-hmm. Everything else around us, uh, people proving themselves right. I mean, social media is full of people trying to prove themselves right. In science, you're supposed to go with the added idea of disproving yourself. Right. Although the mechanisms of publications are not set in a way where that's rewarded, but so be it. That's that's the way it is. Yet, um, and. You go in with an a priori set of conditions that you can't then change as you are doing the search. Right. Because then it becomes fishing expedition. You keep throwing in other variables, other variables, until you get the outcome you want. And that's a fishing expedition. And there's a bit of a fishing expedition here where the outcome measures were changed, where the statistics were relooked at, mm-hmm. and, and all of that. So a couple of major alterations in the normal scheme of science
0: so it was rejected back in 2019 because it was considered futile after reapplication uh, by biogen it was rejected again in november of 2019 saying that there were there was insufficient evidence to show that this compound benefited alzheimer's patients but then it got approved on june 7 so just kind of giving a little bit of a timeline for some uh, for the listeners now uh, what's going to happen next is Biogen is given about nine years to test this medication in patients and to see whether it works or not and at what dose.
1: So listen, this is interesting. So even though when when people are approached that, wait a second, we didn't see any outcome and we didn't see any meaningful outcome. Oh, we're going to approve and you're going to hear the cost and everything and, and how it affects science. We're going to approve this drug but we're going to give nine years to see if we can get the outcome we want.
0: Right, and, and I think that is the biggest problem we're going to face. There's going to be so much focus on this medication. There's going to be so much focus on the theory that amyloid protein has you know, direct effect on brain cells, and it is the only driving force for Alzheimer's disease that I think it's going to take away from a lot of medical research. I think I'm getting into my personal thoughts already. Yeah, uh, but, I, but that's no, what is, i that's what I said initially. That's
1: absolute, no, it, it's, it's, you're absolutely right. I mean, what we're doing is we've approved a drug that hasn't shown meaningful outcome. We've approved it for a disease that has scared millions, if not billions of people. Uh, we're approving it for a drug, a disease that doesn't have any other treatment. And we're opening the flood doors, but without any meaningful outcomes to show for. And with a lot of investment already a priori, but also investment that it will pull with it. It's almost like a massive ship that, that's got a lot of force behind it. In its wake, it's going to pull everything else toward it.
0: Right, right. This
1: ship is going to f- pull all of research toward it because now, and once we tell you the cost that Biogen is going to incur, it's going to, it will actually overwhelm our healthcare system. Agreed. Now, we're talking about anywhere between 20000 to $57,000 per person. Right. That's amazing per year. I mean, that level of cost. Uh, is just bewildering. and i sure you have some statistics as far as how I, much it's going to cost the nation.
0: I do, I do. I think so wholesale price 56000 per year and there are about 6 million people living with Alzheimer's disease. In the United States alone. In the United States alone. So look at that. So a price of 56000 for an average patient per year and this is like prescription of infusion even to a quarter of these people would end up costing about
1: $100 billion. Now, now here's the thing. The drug was never shown to have profound effect or any clinical effect. And it was only shown for a very small sliver of early MCIs, Mm -hmm. mild cognitive impairment patients. But guess what the drug has been approved for? For all Alzheimer's patients. Yeah, so there's no abatement. There's no signal of stopping or not giving it for... Uh, advanced Alzheimer's or moderate Alzheimer's. Well, at least at this point, it's not clear. That will by itself overwhelm the healthcare system. When you have a $50 billion a year drug or $20 billion a year drug with nothing else in the way, that will take all the attention. Remember when Aerocept first came, three other companies all of a sudden went into the same field. Yeah. They created identical drugs. And for, for the next 20 years, that's what we've been doing. It's the exactly same drugs. Right.
0: So basically, in an approval that is based on amyloid clearance, the FDA gave Biogen the benefit of the doubt in allowing to uh, it to market aducanumab in Alzheimer's, saying that it really doesn't need any actual proof that it can help patients for many, many years.
1: Correct. Literally, that's what they've said. And that's not even without the side effect profile,
0: right? The side I mean, in
1: medicine, is, yeah. we say do no harm first, mm-hmm. and we take that very seriously. Absolutely. That's why it's so easy. A lot of functional and uh, lifestyle doctors push a lot of vitamins and so on and so. On. We don't. We say if if it sounds boring, it's okay. Lifestyle is good enough for us. Do no harm is at the core of what we do, and then do harm, do good.
0: I wanted to actually read some of the side effects to our listeners. So around 40% of treated patients in Biogen's late stage trials developed brain swelling. 40%. And most of them didn't suffer a lot of symptoms, but they definitely needed regular brain scans to avoid complications. And so this, that's not negligible.
1: Brain swelling that's seen by imaging is not a normal thing. Right. Yes, you might not see death. You might not see any um, overt Symptoms, but that's significant, right? So you have a drug that, where you, whereupon you've seen forty percent swelling of the brain, you've seen very little clinically meaningful outcome. The cost is going to be overwhelming. The way it will pull all research in one direction will be un, uh, unstoppable. Mm-hmm. The two of us in the clinic are already seeing the pressure.
0: Oh, we're getting people, yeah phone calls and emails and the clinic is getting overwhelmed because. Um it's uh, you know and it's so difficult to actually converse about these nuances with families and there's because they're desperate
1: and we understand the desperation. We saw the desperation in ourselves and our own families oh, absolutely. with our grandparents.
0: Absolutely. And so and there's also a sense of guilt of not doing anything about it. So, yes. I envision some really difficult conversations in the clinic uh, with our patients and their families.
1: A lot of doctors in our university and in others have contacted us saying that they feel awkward, they feel uncomfortable, but the pressure is just overwhelming to give this. And and the word used is hope. That's a, the most powerful and positive word. And it's also the most dangerous and abused word because people can use that to kind of direct false the science.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We love science, we love the scientific approach and the advances, but you know, rushing costly treatments that may not have any proven results at the expense of very vulnerable people is borderline criminal, in my opinion.
1: And it will take over the research. It will be the dominant source of funding being spent by pharmaceutical companies for in the next Two decades, it will take uh, NIH, which is already myopic and very molecular oriented, even more so in that direction. Uh, the multi-dimensional approach to cognition and brain is going to be pushed to the back again, mm. and much more so now because this is the first disease-modifying drug. And uh, we are at a this was a significant approval at many levels. FDA approved a drug outside of the normal processes of science in a way. Absolutely. And there are people like Paul Azin at UCSD and, and uh, Alzheimer's Association and others that, that are going on uh, social media, they're saying things like, oh, this is a breakthrough, this is an amazing thing, and well, based on, Paul, I have no idea what.
0: Paul Azin actually is affiliated with Biogen.
1: Correct. He's... By the way, we are not saying that he's benefiting, well, he is no, benefiting but financially, I think... but it's, I don't think that's the driver. It's that for a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Absolutely. And he's an immunologist and everything looks like an immune disorder.
0: And I think he's been on that amyloid lane for a long, long time. And so yes. it's very it's very important for people to kind of step back and look at the bigger picture and not just what they've been following for years. I mean, this has been failing for so many decades. So I hear some despair and I hear some negativity in your tone of voice. You, You don't think that we're gonna be able to look at the, uh, the rest of the picture and do you think that we're kind of stuck with this drug for a long time now?
1: Uh, so there's the momentary emotional response, which is negative, I'm, I'm very, very sad and very, very uh, uh, negative about what, what it will do. But my bigger life perspective, you know this, I'm the most optimistic human being, I, I think that reason is unstoppable. Mm-hmm reason is the most unstoppable force in the you know, universe. It's, it's not going to be stopped, but it's just going to be delayed now for 20, 30 years, which is going to affect, or maybe longer, and which will affect a lot of people, uh, that, will, that a lot more people will suffer for a longer period, but ultimately we will course correct. And, and we might actually learn something from this. Let me, get, let me kind of give it a perspective. And I want us to kind of, even bad science, when you throw enough money at it, gives you information. But it's it, And in retrospect, you never look at it and say, oh, I wish we had done it a different way, but look, this way actually gave us this information. Yes, all paths can give you information, even bath paths, if you throw science at it and money at it and time at it and smart people at it, but it's not the most efficient way to do uh, the science and it's not the most efficient way to resolve the problem. That's where we are. and And we being... I've done the work. You've done the work at UCSD, right. which right. was the number one neuroscience program at Columbia University. I did the NIH. I was at the experimental therapeutics branch. It's We're not against this kind of research. In fact, it's central. It's critical. But it has to be broadened, especially when your signals are not clear and your signals have consistently failed. You don't go back to the same signal over and over again, especially not in isolation mm-hmm. from others. Right.
0: So on, on Twitter and on social media, I've been following a lot of the scientists and doctors to see what their thoughts are. And you get a predominantly negative sense about how the doctors and the scientists feel about this medication. There are some advocacy groups that are excited about it. I mean, Alzheimer's Association, Maria Curio, the chief science officer for Alzheimer's Association said, history has shown us that approvals of the first drug in a new category invigorate the field, increase investments in new treatments and encourage greater innovations.
1: Let's, let's di- dissect that statement. Right. Dissect That statement says nothing about validity uh, of that approval. It just says that approval invigorates motion. That's, that shouldn't be the driver of science. Validity should be the driver of validity. Validity or truth should be the driver of further science, not empty hope right. uh, that we've just created. That statement in itself has nothing in it mm. of meaning. Right. Uh, I don't want to sound too bombastic, but, but no, it, it's I mean, an important this, it's
0: thing. It's an important uh, thing to talk about. There are others who worry about the approval, and um, just like you and I, uh, said, it's going to stymie research efforts. And there is there is a fear that a lot of people with Alzheimer's will start dropping out of ongoing clinical trials to take aducanumab. And there are some that worry that drug developers will abandon other targets and they will start creating, you know, medication like aducanumab. Um, and this is really going to set the research community back at least ten to twenty years.
1: Oh, I can I can guarantee that a lot of clinical trials that are using other me- mechanisms are going to fail uh, because of recruitment, because the force of something like this yeah. will be so overwhelming that a person that has this, uh, you know, mild cognitive impairment or early dementia. There's no way that they will not take this. They will not go in this direction.
0: And it kind of lowered the standard for research too, because if you're showing that amyloid lowering activity is enough to win regulatory approval, then it's going to discourage scientists and universities from developing other treatments um, that may benefit uh, patients. So all in all, I think... We have to speak about this. I'm going to take some questions from our audience here. There's one question saying, "Does the FDA ever reverse its approval if there is enough pushback from the medical community? Has that happened?"
1: So the pushback is this. Uh, so the the board that actually gives advice, three of the ten people actually resigned in the last couple of days.
2: Yeah, they. Did. I've
1: never heard of anything like this. Right. Where three of the top, usually they make a, you know they voice their uh, the the dismay. Uh, even that doesn't happen that often, because uh, the, it's their advice is usually taken. They resigned in protest, pretty much, mm. which is remarkable. And and I'm sure that the rest of the board will also um, voice their um, dismay about this the reversal. I'm not sure. It's just too much momentum, too many forces wanting this to be approved. I don't see that reversing. Agreed. And and I'll tell you the pressure on us are so massive that it it, it can be even career affecting. Because if we are the directors of our brain health and Alzheimer's prevention program in Loma Linda, uh, uh, you know, in uh, all these universities, and here's a drug that says that it can potentially slow it down, all the families wanting it. And if we say we don't give it, our career will be affected.
0: Oh, I already lost a couple of patients based on just the statement that I made and they're looking into some neurologists elsewhere who would approve this medication for them.
1: And there will be because there's so much money in it. Just the infusion component of it is a moneymaker now for the hospitals and the doctors.
0: Right. There's another question. Why do they not recommend it for APOE4 people? Because there is a small chance of brain bleeds. And so the, here's another thing to check. So people actually have to get checked for their APOE4 status before getting this medication, which is another cost, another worry. Their children might start worrying that they might be carriers of the APOE4. Just this whole thing now started where people have to get tested.
1: When people used to ask us whether we should get APOE4 tested, we would say, what's the utility? There's nothing we can do for you. And in this case, there actually is nothing. There's a drug that you can give for people who are non-APOE4, but not for APOE4. So now they know their status, yet they're not going to have anything done for them. So that anxiety itself becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy almost uh, because it just creates that much uh, tension.
0: Debbie says, what stance will you be taking in your clinic? Is there a way for doctors to band together and get the focus off of this drug?
1: Well, uh, for us to come out like this, was itself a little risky, but we've lived on the risky side of all our life, um, but science side. I mean, we're we, we not anti-anything. Right. We're not anti anything. we we're making the argument, and I'm hoping that others will come and make the argument. Uh, these are powerful companies that also have relationship with hospitals. We will have pressure. Um, I'm hope our stand is what we just said. Will we give this drug to a very, very small percentage of people? I don't want to, ma- I want to make sure that I don't do Medicine by protest, either we still haven't figured out. Is there a very, very small sliver of population that that showed that benefit that we would say, okay, for this group, we would do it almost like an experimentation and research, but that's not fiscally ethical. No, it's scientifically ethical in that case, I guess, but fiscally it's not ethical because we're using public. Yeah,
0: Dean, I think there's there's basically no evidence that this thing works. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it does remove amyloid, but and it never ADLs. made any clinical significance.
1: Correct, it affected the ADLs, which is activities of daily living for, for a short period of time and a very small subset, uh, but we've never used those as, as meaningful outcomes to approve a drug, for. Uh, so it's, it's uh, quite worrisome.
0: So, in my opinion, this was a setback in terms of the bigger research for Alzheimer's treatment I'm encouraged to see scientists and neurologists standing up and voicing their opinion about this drug, but I'm also aware, very aware, of the mechanics of pharmaceutical and industry research, and I hope to have more conversations in the near future with other individuals who may or may not agree with us on this to figure out and come to the truth together and see how we can all help our patients best.
1: Correct. Correct, that's about it. Uh, We just wanted to kind of share this. And the reason we're sharing this is not just, is to talk about the science and there will be other studies, there will be other drugs, not just for Alzheimer's but for uh, depression, anxiety. Uh, And we need to kind of distill it and, uh, and, and understand it in a way as far as both functionality, utility, cost, side effect profile, all of those things. Before we can we can approve something otherwise, um, there are drugs out there that we're for. If somebody has very very high cholesterol levels, there is a side effects to the cholesterol lowering medications. But short term, operative term being short term, right. cholesterol lowering medicines are important, and we're ho- with a hope that lifestyle takes over over time. So we're not completely against the drugs.
0: Somebody asked, Bonnie asked about the percentage of how lifestyle changes can be the best alternative to protect us, and especially if someone has APOE4.
1: The evidence so far is that anywhere between, well, so there are different studies in different series, anywhere as low as 33% or as high as what we say with well, ours is a little bit of extrapolation, but it's a meaningful extrapolation, as much as 90%, but at the minimum, somewhere around 60%. We're talking about. Avoiding dementia, not just affecting amyloid. So um, we think that, and and that should be studied even further. So here's the here's where we're holding ourselves. You know, this population should be studied in massive studies that actually have you know uh, the kind of cost that you give to biogen dr- drugs or the, with these uh, amyloid drugs, and followed over a period of time, not small little studies that everybody's doing, and then looked at all the biomarkers. And then we can say, okay, yes, um, uh, lifestyle not only slowed down, which we think it does and stop the disease uh, for a great number, but it, d- it did it in this way with this mechanics. We saw the uh, cholesterol going down. We saw the amyloid levels of being affected. We saw the imaging. All of that should be done. But so far, the evidence for lifestyle is much, much, much stronger.
0: Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Okay. Well, we're going to end the conversation here. Hope to have more conversations in the near future. And... Yeah, we'll take it from there.
1: Love you all. Talk to you in the next uh, few days.